Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Plant family, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And so we are excited here at The Plant. Thank you, Andrew, for that solo. We are so thankful for you. <laughs> so we are excited for Christmas, and it is the Sunday after Thanksgiving, and we are starting our Advent series. Now, when you think about the word Advent, it is the arrival of something important. So that's if you take Advent with a small a. Think about the new iPhone 12. I mean, that new iPhone is so powerful that even in Hollywood, they have shot some parts of movies with that little phone. So when the iPhone 12 came out, everyone was so excited. They were anticipating it. Or what about the new Tesla? Any of you who love Teslas out there, they have started rebuilding the Tesla with a bigger battery that allows a car to go further. And so people are in anticipation for what is to come. Now watch this. If you take the Advent word and you capitalize the A, it gives it a whole new meaning. It's the celebration of the nativity of Jesus at Christmas. It's the anticipation of celebrating the Christmas narrative. And so when we come into this part of, of Advent, there's so many different emotions. But in all fairness, this Advent season is so much different than really any of us in the last 30, 40 years have ever experienced. But still, some of you are, are having anticipations like Andy Williams, who, who are really excited that it is the most wonderful time of year. And you're just so happy that, that COVID and other things are kind of drifting away. But for, for some of you, like Merle Haggard, you are thinking, I'm just trying to make it through this December. And so there are many different emotions, and everything just seems like it's upside down. Everything is backwards. And so what does it mean when something is upside down? It means that it's in disorder, it's, it's in confusion, and, and simply said that, that things are just messed up. Well, when you look at the Christmas narrative, this is exactly what was happening back in the time when Christ was born. Everything was in disorder. Everything was in confusion. Everything was basically messed up. And so for us, there are many different emotions that I believe we need to recognize. And my hope through our staff is to preach this sermon series in such a way that you would be able to wrestle with your joys and your sorrows with the heaviness and happiness that are both sitting on your heart. And that we would be able to look at the Christmas narrative and see how God used unlikely people to be part of what many would call an unlikely plan to take our world that is upside down and turn it right side up. And so here is our theme for our Christmas ser sermon series, an upside down Christmas. It's a play on words. Because what seemed to be an upside down plan was going to turn our world right side up. So as we begin, I want you to pray with me as we start this Advent series. Jesus, you know how much myself and our staff have been preparing for this Christmas. God, I feel like for, 
for our church family that when we come together, whether in person or through video, we are gathering to look at your word, not to rush through your word, not to just show up and, and watch a sermon, but to actually allow your word to plow the soil of our soul. And so God, I ask that, that today that this sermon would be the beginning of our advent, our expectancy of what you want to do this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to grab your Bibles. And I really want that this Advent series would be a time of real biblical teaching. That you would walk away from the time that you are watching this, whether it be Sunday morning or Sunday night or, or Wednesday night, and that you would be able to say, I really dove into scripture. I, I learned something. So I want you to turn with me first to Luke chapter 1, verse 5a. It's very, very short little passage, and then we're going to jump to the bigger passage. But in Luke 1, 5a, it says this. When Herod was king of Judah. Stop right there. When Herod was king of Judah. So let's talk about the historical setting of what was happening right before the whole narrative of Advent had happened. The people of God were tired. They were downtrodden. They were once a mighty people that were led by King David that God was doing, using to do amazing things. They were growing, and, and even foreigners, people far from God, were attaching themselves to be Israelites. But then they became selfish, and sin entered the camp. Sin had entered the kingdom. And what they had done was that they had self-sabotaged themselves. And we see this all throughout biblical history, that when the people of God leaned on God, trusted God, allowed God to be king of their lives... They always won. We talked about that in our last sermon series. God was always, when God was always on the throne, the people of God always thrived. But humanity and selfishness snuck into the camp. And all of a sudden, they were derailed. They sabotaged what God was wanting to do in their lives. And yes, you see periods throughout the Old Testament where there was revival and renewal, but, but they never went back to the glory days of King David. And so they were, began to live under the oppress, oppression of other kings, both kings that would call themselves Jewish leaders, but also they fell into traps of living under foreign kings. They became slaves once again. Key leaders were taken out of the land. And so the people of God, the Israelites, had really become people that were back and living in a place of oppression, much like they were in Egypt, but in a, a different form. Unfortunately, the world moved on. And for some, they even believe that God moved on. And then all of a sudden, you see the shift in Jerusalem. You see that, that Alexander the Great had conquered that territory, and, and he created a Greek culture. And then the Romans conquered the Greeks, but yet they, they kept that Greek culture intact. And all of a sudden, you see that there's this moment of breakthrough with the Maccabees. And so the Maccabees come in, and, and they really believe that, that they're about to take over this culture. But... Once again, they had fallen short. And then you open the New Testament, and the people of God are living in a place that they were divided. Corruption had entered the camp, 
They were living in a corrupt culture. And now they were living under a Roman leader named Herod. Their world was turned upside down. And even though they were people of faith, even though they still believed that God was going to fulfill his plan, for many, was it too late? Would God use their generation? And for many of them, their thought was, most likely not. They were too far gone. The people lost heart, but yet, in the bleakest period of Jewish culture, God had a plan. God was going to send his son, Emmanuel, to turn their world that was upside down and turn it right side up. Now, why is this so significant? Understanding the historical background helps us understand that there were a people that believed that God had forgotten them and that they were going to be passed over and that hopefully their children or their grandchildren would be blessed once again. But here's what we need to understand, and I think this is the most beautiful part of the Christmas narrative. That which we think is impossible allows God to do what God always does, which is the possible. And so when I look at what's going on right now in our world, in our country, in our culture, it is very bleak. It is confusing. In simple words, it's messed up. But just as then, I believe now, God wants to take our world that seems like it's turned upside down and turn it right side up. So here's what I want you to do now. Jump ahead to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. And I call this section at just the right time. It says in Luke 1, 26 through 28, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel approached, appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Too often we just pass over the historical setting of this passage and just believe that, that out of nowhere, God sent an angel to this little unknown town on the backside of Jerusalem with some kind of plan that in a moment he just kind of schemed up and said, this is what I'm going to do now. But that was never the plan. That God would just kind of whoop together a plan, put together a plan. Rather, God had a plan. It says in 1 Peter 1.20, before the world began. Or as Paul says in Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time had come, God was going to allow his plan to come to fruition by taking a young virgin girl from a small unknown community to take an unlikely person to be part of an unlikely plan to turn his world right side up. Look what it says here in Isaiah 7, 13 through 14. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David, isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? 
Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This prophecy was written long, long before this young girl was ever in the picture. But God had a plan from the beginning of time. And as Paul says, when the fullness of time had come. So when the world was in the best place for God to do what was possible in a time that seemed impossible for him to accomplish it. God was going to bring redemption, salvation to a people who were weary, tired, unready, and spiritually asleep. And God was going to use that one place, that one person that they thought was never possible. The people were too exhausted to believe that God would show up. So think about the glass. We all know the illustration. The glass, there's water in it. It's only filled halfway. Do we take a glass of water and say, wow, it's, it's half full or it's half empty? When we look at our circumstance and our situations, even today, even today, are we saying, wow, it's really, our circumstances are really bad, half empty? Or you know what? God's ready to do something really good. It's half full. We have a long way to go, but trust me, there's still more to go. Or are we in our situations determined to not allow ourselves to see that God wants to act. Our perspective determines our willingness to move forward with anticipation or to retreat in apprehension. But here's what we need to understand, people of God. Whether it is part of the Advent narrative or the current narrative, God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always predetermined. And God's timing is always predestined. Was God's people ready to receive a gift that God wanted to give to the world? And are we ready in this season of life to receive the gift of hope, anticipation, that God wants to step in now more than ever? In a period of time that is bleak, that seems half empty, impossible for God to act. Well, let's continue in the, the Luke narrative. How can this be? Luke chapter 1, 29 through 34. Mary, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I'm a virgin. Mary's initial response is, is a human response. 
confused and disturbed. So, so let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had an angelic visitation? Seriously. How many of you have, have been sleeping in the middle of the night or going for a walk or driving down the road and an angel just showed up and started talking to you? Mary's response would be our response, confused and disturbed. We see this all throughout scripture when either God appeared or an angel of God appeared, whether it be Moses, whether it be Joseph, whether it be the shepherds, whether it be any individual, it always said they were disturbed, afraid. It's why the angel always tells the person, don't be afraid, God is with you. But here's why they would be afraid. Because when God would show up, there were two reasons. To bless or reprimand. And I believe that in the, the dark of the night, if we were all alone in the quietness of our soul, we may think that God could show up for one of two reasons. But in all honesty, for me, I might be a little afraid he wants to reprimand me. So I would be shocked if God showed up in the middle of the night an angel and said, hey, Rob, you're favored. God thinks you're really cool. That would be awesome. I know my wife thinks I'm cool. I know my kids think I'm cool. Hopefully at times, uh, as teenagers, there's that weird period of time that they don't really think you're cool. But how cool would it be for, for God to say, man, I really like you. But here's what I do know. God loves me. He accepts me. He's called me by name. You see, what Mary is really showing is she's showing a, a respect, having an awe of God. And in our society, we have lost the awe of God. We use his name in vain, taking him out of our schools, taking him out of our government, taking him out of our homes. I mean, I heard a story recently in, in one of our life groups where one of our life group members was, was doing missions work in a country that was atheistic and, and communist. So this was years ago when, you know, 30, 40 years ago when they were in high school. They still use the name of Jesus in vain in a country that didn't even know the gospel. We have lost the awe of God. And Mary's fear was, was healthy. It was a sign of respect. Her response should be our response. When we open the word of God, when we go to prayer, when we show up for worship, when we gather with other Christians, there, there should be an awe that, that God is going to show up. I mean, think about Proverbs 9.10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And what Mary was showing the angel is that I have respect for God's authority in my life and upon this world. And Gabriel comforts Mary with these words, for you have found favor with God. And Mary's thinking, what have I done? I'm 12, 13 years old. I have no accomplishments to show that, that God should find favor in me. I haven't preached sermons. I haven't started an organization. I, I haven't led a movement. And, and Gabriel says, God finds favor in you because God knows the heart of humanity. God knew that when Gabriel showed up, that Mary would give God her yes. And so she asks a real question. How can this be? I'm not married yet. I haven't had sexual relationships yet. You know, and there's a more of a, a curiosity than a disbelief. How can this happen? Like, I'm trusting you, but I don't get it. I'm not married. I, I haven't been with this person intimately. And, 
and she's confused and, and disturbed. But isn't that what Abraham said to God? When God told Abraham that he would be the father of God's nation, Abraham and Sarah were older, unable to have children. It was Im impossible. And God says, I'm the God of possibilities. And so just like Abraham, Mary was confused, disturbed. This is when we need to recognize that the Christmas narrative it's not a fable. It's a miracle. The Christmas narrative is not a fable. It's a miracle. It's impossible through human efforts, but not impossible through God. Because everything is possible when God has said it and declared it. And then it's been settled. Holy Spirit would conceive Mary, overshadow Mary, and she would conceive a child. Now, here's what I love about Scripture. We see over nine different scenarios where people who are unable to have children, God did the impossible so that these children would be set apart for a very specific reason. Abraham and Sarah bringing Isaac into the world. Isaac was the first of many. What about Hannah birthing Samuel, the high priest? Or Elizabeth birthing John the Baptist, the, the forerunner of Jesus? And those are just three to give you examples. Men and women, God wants to do a miracle. God wants to do something this Christmas season that only God can do. And maybe some of you out there need to hear that. You couples who have been struggling with infertility, Maybe this is that Christmas that God is going to do in the impossible so that your child would have that signpost upon their life that they were a miracle. They were birthed from the hand of God. God does the impossible in people's lives to invite them to be part of God's possible plan to turn our world right side up. And so Mary gives God her yes. But here's what we need to realize. Mary's yes is not as simple as it seems. Let me say that again. Mary's yes is not as simple as it seems. Luke 1.38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary declared, yes, God, I give you my yes. I am your servant. Everything you have said, I believe, will come true and will come to fruition. Mary gives a simply and profound yes, but does she really know what she's about to say yes to? How many times have we been in a church service or in a moment of prayer where, where God gives us this, this big vision and we go to the front and maybe we kneel at the altar or maybe we're driving down the road and we pull over to the side and, and God reveals something in our lives that he wants us to give our yes to. But do we really know what we're about to say yes to? Personally, I remember planting the church. 
I remember two different scenarios where I gave God my yes, first to plant a church in New Jersey, and then second to plant a church in Bergen County. I had no idea what I was actually saying yes to. And now I look back and see how the hand of God was upon me, but there were so many moments that I'm like, why did I say yes? I should have just said no. I was being a good Christian pastor. Life was a little bit easier. But God's plan was best. And I get to look back and see the hand of God upon my life. How God has used church planting to reestablish a gospel-centered church in Mawan, New Jersey, and now in West Milford. But I look back and I, I got to be honest, I don't know if I really knew what I was saying yes to. And that's just a pastor. What about Mary saying yes to carrying the, the Son of God? who was about to say yes to, to many different situations, privileges that would be lost, shame that would be upon her. I just want to run through some of the things that, that I wrote down. Saying yes meant to bear the shame of an unwed pregnancy that carried incredible social stigmas upon her. Saying yes would bring rejection by her family and community. Saying yes would potentially cause her to lose Joseph and have the fear of never finding a man to take care of her. Saying yes would carry a lifetime of emotions, raising the Son of God. It is hard enough raising a child, and yet having the pressure to have to raise the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, every cold, every time he got too close to the fire, every time he walked by something that was sharp. What friends would he be hanging out with? Who was going to be his new social network? And here you are, raising the Son of God with all of the shame that the community is going to put on you, yet you are living under the authority and the blessings of God, knowing that these blessings are not going to come in this life, but in the life to come. How about this? The responsibility to feed him, clothe him, raise him, and prepare him to be God with us. What about the emotional roller coaster? Watching him do miracles, hearing him feeding multitudes, watching him raise the dead, and then hearing of him walking on water. This boy did what the world said was impossible, and everything he does was possible because he was God with us. And then finally, knowing she gave God her yes, knowing he would suffer, be mocked, humiliated, beaten, and put to death. Every parent's nightmare is to see their child suffer. And Mary lived with the foreknowledge that this would happen too. Jesus is born. They go to the temple. And the prophecy is told that your child will suffer. As a parent, I've, I've watched my kids suffer. I've seen my kids have to go through one too many surgeries. I've received devastating news. But I've also watched them thrive and grow and mature. When we say yes to being a parent, we oftentimes don't realize all the pain that's going to come with it. And Mary was told all that she was going to go through. 
And giving God her yes was not as simple as it sounded. But it was the only thing she could do. This is what Mary was saying yes to. And she still gave God her yes. I believe Mary saw what the world had to offer and it did not compare to God's invitation. Let me say that again. I believe that Mary saw what her world had to offer and it did not compare to God's invitation. If what Gabriel told her was true, her son would turn this upside down world right side up. And so we look at this Christmas narrative, how God was going to begin the Advent story by using an unlikely person to be part of his unlikely plan to turn our upside down world right side up. And so I wanna leave you with a lesson and an invitation. First, the, inv first the lesson. God's plan is perfect. God's timing for Christmas then and now is perfect. Then there was 400 years of silence that God did not speak through the prophets or to the prophets. And then he showed up on the scene. And he took a group of displaced people in a corrupted culture and set in motion his perfect plan that was already set in the beginning of time. Why? Because God does the impossible because that is who God is. When we get to a point that we cannot do anything else, that we have lost control, that, that we cannot control any things, I believe that's when God shows up most. God did the impossible. And God continues to do the impossible. People of God, even in this season, God is up to something big, something perfect, and something possible. Let me read Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. I've been saying this for 12 years. Revival is coming. I've been saying this since the pandemic. Is God positioning us to be part of his revival plan? Let's not look at this world as, as it being half empty, but rather half full to allow God to do that which others say is impossible because he is the God of possibilities. That is the Christmas lesson that I am stepping into. God is going to do even more than I could ever hope, dream, or imagine. God is up to something that is best. 
and I am positioning myself and preparing myself, and we as a church are positioning ourselves and preparing ourselves that God would do the impossible because that's what God does. So here's my invitation. Be part of God's plan and give God your yes. Giving God your yes is an invitation to be part of God's plan to turn our world that seems to be upside down to turn it right side up. In the midst of everything being confusing, disrupted, you get to be that place of stability, that place of hope, that place of expectations for others and for God to use. Give God your yes. Like Mary, will you give God your yes? Will you turn your back on what this world has to offer and receive what God has for you? Will you finally, will some of you finally come to the end of your rope and say, I don't want what this world has to offer anymore. I'm done. I'm finished. And begin to receive that which God wants to give to you. And so now we're going into a song of worship. If you need to have a posture of kneeling, if you have to have a posture of open hands and open hearts, if you have to have a posture of, of, of hands lifted high, here's what I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you that you would give God your yes, turn your back on this world, and start stepping into God's plan. What this world has to offer does not compare nor compete with what God has best. And Mary knew that. The question is this, do you believe that? Let's go to worship. Whether you kneel, whether you stand, whether you contemplate, give God your yes. Let's worship together. Here is my closing thought. And I'm actually going to read it because I want to make sure that I say it clearly. Mary gave God her yes. And because Mary gave God her yes, I believe she empowered others to give God her yes. I believe that throughout Jesus' life, he gave God his yes because he saw the faith of his mother, believing that he was Emmanuel, God with us. I believe that Joseph had the ability to continually give God his yes, because his young wife had given God her yes. Can you give God your yes? In anticipation of two things, one, you will see the fulfillment of God come to fruition. And two, you will empower other people to give God their yes as well. Plant family, we love you. We are praying with you and we're praying for you. Have an amazing day. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. 
For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.